0: Be careful about what messaging you let in your brain when it comes to food and nutrition.
1: Hi, I'm Maria, otherwise known as the Fit Foodie. I'm a chef, holistic nutritionist, author, inventor, and mom. And I wanna welcome you to my podcast. It's called Recipes for Your Best Life. And with every episode, I'm peeling back the onion on fitness, nutrition, health, wellness, and family. The truth is, you're the chef of your life. And for every important pillar, there's a great recipe worth sharing. So every week, we'll explore them together. Think of it as food for thought that you can really sink your teeth into. So join me, and let's squeeze the joy out of this life. Because you only get one. Can I get a fork, yeah? What if the idea of a diet was just kind of absurd? You know, the thought that... Following a certain plan just because other people are doing it is bunk. Well, that's kind of what John O'Connor thinks. He's the founder of Gene Food and host of the Gene Food Podcast. Like many who make their way into the wellness world, John was inspired to create a platform that could empower people to find personalized health solutions after he realized his health and dietary needs. Didn't fit the template offered by conventional nutrition and medicine. And that's why he created My Gene Food. And it literally uses your DNA to figure out what the best eating plan is for you. And there's a lot of truth to what that is based on. Gene Food scoured hundreds of peer reviewed studies weighed the strength of various genetic markers that can be influenced by nutrition, and then put together a, I guess you could say a survey or a, uh, an analysis uh, module that scores the different markers that a customer has, and then puts them into one of 20 DNA-based diet types. And from there, that's how you determine what the best diet for you might be. I had a great conversation with John and we kind of geeked out over nutrition science. So if we go kind of deep into it, you understand the background. But I think that this is kind of the wave of the future. And I wonder what you think. Stay tuned, it's gonna be a great episode. Let's listen. John, it's great to have you on.
0: It's great to it's great to be joining you. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed our uh, our discussion about skiing. It got me really excited <laughs> to go back out there.
0: <laughs> I am so hopeful for this year's ski season. I,
1: really I know, I know. They gotta figure out a way to make snow happen in the in the fall so that we can actually get to the slopes. Um, so you know. My life has been dedicated to trying to figure out how people should eat. And what I've come to the conclusion of is there really is no one size fits all as much as people want to force you know individuals into uh you know a camp of some kind of elimination style diet is what have you found and how did you get started in this field to begin with?
0: Well, like a lot of people who have gone into the health and wellness space, I started with this by getting on the wrong side of my own health and finding myself very stressed out, very scattered, drinking too much caffeine, drinking too much alcohol, living in New York City and just not feeling right. And having a kind of a, a revelation that, a lot of the traditional medical system that's that's in place while it's, it's it's very advanced it's very valuable i mean that's where i'll go if i have some some very you know an acute illness i will not hesitate to to go to an allopathic medical practitioner and i have a tremendous respect for that industry i think that for these low lying sort of chronic mental health digestive Uh, Problems that people are running into with greater frequency in our society That is not always the answer and I find I found for myself that I was that I was very much an outlier The the issues that I was running up against were not something that was going to be readily Diagnosable or there was not going to be a ready fixable solution from a pharmaceutical drug or from a traditional medical practitioner and so um, the fact that I was this unique snowflake and the fact that i had these these unique issues um for me it's kind of this sort of histamine kind of issue you know i um i can trend in that direction um you know too much alcohol is very bad for that i'm 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 somebody who's much more sensitive to their physical environment i kind of pieced all this together and i said look this is very interesting. When you, when, you, when, you dig, when you dig at that, you realize that there is a scientific basis for a lot of these different issues. Um, it's just a matter that it's, the dots aren't being connected. So I said, all right, um, this, is, this can be profound. Getting on top of your own individual circumstances and understanding what works for you as an individual can be, can be very profound. The problem, as we've discussed, is there's so much pressure from a lot of different circles of people that have found, well, this worked for me, so therefore it's going to work for my entire camp. You know, the unilateral,
1: yeah, the unilateral yep. kind of, um, you know, approach. But was there, like, you said you had some issues and you had some stuff going on. Was there, like, a game changer, a breakdown or something that happened where you were just like, I, I've got to figure this shit out or else I'm, something bad's going to happen? Like, was there a little warning sign?
0: Yeah, the the game changer for me was wrecking. I mean, there's been a number of different game changers. I think I think from the macro ten thousand foot perspective, what it what takes what it takes is it takes a lot of a lot of work and a lot of intuition and understanding that when you're when you when you are when you have reached an epiphany, you need to protect it very carefully. You know, it, could, it, it, it you, while examining yourself and, and realizing that. Dis, Lying to yourself and deceit of self is a major problem. And, and and sometimes you reach an epiphany and time will prove it out that it wasn't what, what you thought it was. But I think you need to listen to your own intuition. For me, that was, look, I was living in Austin, Texas, um, which is an amazing city that I absolutely adore and love. But I really, and, and I've never met better people. I love the people in Austin, Texas.
1: Um, so you went from New York to Austin?
0: I went from New York to Austin. Okay. And what, and I, by, by way of California. A
1: different lifestyle. <laughs>
0: Totally different lifestyle. Although I do think that Austin is kind of this happy medium between New York and Southern California. But I got there and realized, as some people do, it's not a lot of people, but there are people that move to Austin and they have these terrible issues with allergy. And I found that when I got there, just that environment for me was not conducive to me being at my best. And it took a lot of took a lot of fighting because you're going to go see physicians um, who are not going to let you have that insight. There's not quote like the data behind that. They'll, mm. they'll explain they'll explain it away a million different ways. And for me, I just realized that I had to leave the city that I loved because of the fact that I, my, my health was so demonstrably worse in that physical location. And so removing myself from that environment was like, was, was, was that example for me of really, truly following my intuition. So like you
1: were having an allergic, like a histamine reaction to allergens.
0: Absolutely. I mean, so Austin is a city that is uh, marked by the, it's in the Texas hill country, it never freezes. There's a there's a level of just ambient mold in the air. Mm. Um, and with certain species of mold that if you were to find them in your home, they'd have to be remediated. Um, there's uh, people that know Austin well know there's something called cedar fever, which every, uh, every December, essentially, when the freeze happens, these these trees, these juniper trees, They're not even native to Austin, but they 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 populate the hill country, and they 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 pollinate when the weather gets cold, and it's called the cedar fever. People will literally we see in the age of coronavirus, people wearing masks. People in Austin will 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 wear masks to protect themselves in some cases from from cedar. There's grass. There's species of grass. There's all these different, and it turned me on to the fact that histamine intolerance, which is something we test for in terms of the the nutritional side in our gene food panels. Um, that, that, that your ability to, to process and deal with histamine is a function of food, it's a function of genetics, but it's also very much a function of location and environment. And we know from studies that look at people who live close to highways, for example, that have a toxic burden from living within 500 feet of a highway in Southern California, that they have elevated levels of C reactive protein, they have elevated levels of the, these different cytokines, which shows scientifically that the body has different. Immune reactions to different ambient inputs. And that's something that's really not in dispute. And so at a basic level, we look at pollen allergy. You know, you have the cytokine, you have you have mass cells, the immune, the military sentinel cells of the body, which react to something like pollen or dust or air pollution. And if you were to measure a hundred people, you put them in New York City, you put them in Austin, you know, in the future we might be able to do this in real time. You could see person A has this level of immune reactivity to their ambient inputs and person person b has has almost zero and i feel like for me i'm somebody you put me in austin the cocktail of different allergies that i have caused such an incredible reaction i was so reactive to that environment that then anything you put in food wise histamine wise right whatever you want to say histamine something that stimulates the immune system through food you just become super reactive Hmm. To, to, to your nutritional inputs.
1: So you're saying literally when you were living in Austin, certain things were setting you off that weren't setting you off in New York, which is kind uh, of like I'm interesting trying. to think about because you think about New York being full of smog and and not that, I mean, Austin's still a big city, but do you, is that sensitivity... Something that only someone who is really in tune with themselves would feel or is this does it not have to be That extreme of a situation. I just I'll kind of put it into perspective Like I think when you start to have issues um, And you make small tweaks and you can feel it like you are then in tune But I would say the majority of people are not that in tune Do you feel like this is something that is for the hypersensitive or is it pretty widespread?
0: Um, I think you can look at these situations in terms of like phenotypes. Um, so a phenotype is a combination of your genetics and then your lifestyle, right? So for me, lifestyle factors, you know, living in New York prior to going to Austin, partying too much. I've always worked in startups. I've always been an entrepreneur. So I've had a very stressful job, just kind of a constant low level of stress, living in a stressful environment in New York, um, combined with genetic predispositions, you uh, I think the future is we identify all these different phenotypes. And so in the future we say, okay, well, now we can actually measure for the enzymes that clear histamine. We know this person was put on these different courses of antibiotics at this particular time in their life. And so they've had this damage to their gut flora and they've had this degradation in their enzymatic ability to clear histamine, which was already diminished by the fact that, that they have these genetic predispositions. And then we wrap that into a package and we say, okay, Um, you know, it's easy to kind of in a tough guy way or this resilience way to say, oh, well, you wouldn't have allergies if you ate this food or you did this. I think instead what we're going to find is that people are metabolically very different. And so, yeah, some people do have these sensitivities, but rather than just kind of calling them sensitivities, I think as the science progresses, we're going to have much more of a a fine pinpoint idea of exactly why these sensitivities develop. And I think that's where that's where we're headed. Um, with nutrition science and also just with uh, uh, studying, you know, the individuality of people.
1: So we're going to talk about gene food in just a little bit, but I want to kind of dig deeper into this and unpack the idea of sensitivity. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you are an individual that, for example, you can't have nightshade vegetables or le- you're super sensitive to lectins, um, there are ways to kind of move around that sensitivity, like if you sure. cook the tomatoes, if you soak the grain, um, a lot of the times you can kind of overcome that. Do you think that's valid, or do you think that just is there a way that I mean, are we just still kind of hammering our bodies?
0: Well, by I, I eating think- those foods? I think I think that first and foremost, it's important in these conversations to have a tremendous amount of empathy with anybody who's struggling with the food sensitivity, because you know it's you're 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 very likely not imagining it. But I would say on the flip side of that coin is that the ability for us to test for these food sensitivities is still in its infancy. I'm a, not a huge believer in you know, IgG, immunoglobulin G food sensitivity testing, because I think it flags for, you know, you have high levels of serum IgG that are running through your body at all times. And I think it flags for a lot of false positives. Um, Having said that, I think you can identify food sensitivities both through traditional allergy testing, some degree through food sensitivity testing, and some degree through intuition. I would invite people that are struggling with food sensitivity to, to be open to the possibility that these food sensitivities are transient. In other words, You know, for me, I noticed that the longer I go with, the longer I go without having taken antibiotics, you know, the more resilient my system gets. When I put myself, so we're talking about Austin's suboptimal environment, New York City, inspiring environment but probably not optimal for anybody's health I don't care who you are I start and then I start putting myself in certain situations where I'm really digging in even deeper and I'm going even further into my intuition you know I'm sitting here in Jackson Hole Wyoming the air is perfect I feel amazing and as I get further away from these from these situations where you know where I've taken antibiotics and I've had these these epigenetic insults to my body hmm. I, I, I become more resilient to what used to be, you know, food sensitivities, right? So I don't have the, I, a lot of these food sensitivities that I had start, start to really, really diminish and I can become more liberal, um, you know, with, with, what, I'm, with what, what I'm doing.
1: So what I'm hearing is your you, I mean, these sensitivities to certain foods are real and valid, but the truth is there are a lot of external factors that can impact that and either exacerbate the situation or help. In your situation, just by picking yourself up and literally moving to a new geographic location, you help to clear a lot of this up. Am I hearing that correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that one of the biggest I think that one of the biggest underrated themes in uh, studying individual response to food and individual response to you know different uh, certain biomarkers. I wouldn't get too heavy on that, but I mean we talked about it with these atmospheric scientists that look at um, at UCLA looking at, you know, living in proximity to a highway and how that affects, you know, an inflammatory state. So, so yeah, I, for myself, I can say unequivocally that I really do believe that in the future, we're going to have a better handle on the different cytokines, like the different military sentinels of the immune system that are released when you're sitting in different physical locations. We know this with allergies. You can take somebody. You can put them in an environment where they have severe pollen allergy, and they are going to have increased levels of histamine, increased levels of, you know, certain interleukin markers, different 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 sentinels of the immune system that react to that to that to that outside environmental uh, insult. You take them out of that environment, and things are going to look differently. So there's there's a lot of great studies that link aller, um anxiety, and and panic attacks with allergy. Mm. So so yes, I really am a firm believer and I believe that there is going to be an emerging body of science that's going to show us that your physical location does play a role comprehensively in in, in how you react to food and and just how healthy you are in general.
1: So let's talk about gene food and um, how you created that evaluation system and how it works. And I'm curious... um, if you were able to kind of using that um using your methodology if you were able to kind of heal yourself and that's kind of how you extrapolated you know this information to be able to serve up to other people
0: yeah so i mean look the way that we view gene food is um you know we just, we spoke before the for the interview i said you have We see genetics as a foundational tool. So with gene food, we have an algorithm that will divide people into one of 20 diet types based on their genetics. The idea being that, you know, there's a debate surrounding, for example, dietary cholesterol, We're realizing that dietary cholesterol. Much of the cholesterol you eat, you don't really absorb. You know, most people, if they are absorbing cholesterol, they will just be they will their their body will make less of it. But there are phenotypes. There are there are there are many exceptions to these rules. And so, in some people, they'll continue to absorb cholesterol and they'll continue to make just as much cholesterol as they had been making. And and the the inclusion of dietary cholesterol for some people will actually put them at greater risk for heart disease because they'll see cholesterol rich. LDL particle as a result of eating in that way, whereas somebody else might might not see that at all. And so we're sitting at this foundational level with gene food, where we're trying to give people guidance on, hey, you might be a hyper absorber of cholesterol, you know, you might be somebody that might have a bad reaction in terms of your lipid markers to eating a diet that's high in saturated fat, again, phenotypes, you know, we're trying to put pe- put people into these different groups. But when it comes to my situation, you know, mine was a combination of genetics plus lifestyle, and that's going to be true for everybody. And that's sure. why the, the genetics can sit at, the founda- at a foundational level, and it can be a very useful uh, tool directionally. And then there's still work that has to be done in terms of understanding how lifestyle interacts with, with that genetic predisposition.
1: So um, how does the test work? What do you evaluate it? Is it saliva? or yeah,
0: so we can process raw data from 23andMe or Ancestry and score somebody in literally one minute you can just take your raw data file upload it to the site and the algorithm will score you into one of these different 20 diet types or you can order a test kit through our site and you know that will take four to six weeks because you're going through our lab um, we don't keep anyone's genetic data we delete it off of our servers both in the case of the 23andMe testing as well as with the DNA testing that we do with our lab in san diego so we literally will scrub your data from our servers um and it gives you this foundational tool to 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 get an idea of whether you know you have uh some of these foundational predispositions in different directions nutritionally
1: hmm. so i'm egyptian i was born in egypt my family is like a hundred percent well i say a hundred percent i think there was like some There were some external uh, invasion things happening. We have a little bit of Turkish here, a little bit of French there. And I know so definitively for a fact that the food that works best for me is what I grew up with in Egypt. It doesn't matter where I live, I do best with tomatoes and cucumber and um, fresh fish and rice and... Feta cheese and all of the things, olives. Those, the Mediterranean archetype is what works best for my system. I can't eat a lot of heavy dairy. I can't eat. I mean, it's so intuitive, but it's it's really like it's my epigenetics at the end of the day. Um, when I moved to San Francisco, where there is a lot of mold and a lot of dampness in the air, I suffered. I had such a hard time. And so even though I was eating the same thing there as I am now here in Southern California, I don't know, I couldn't get it right. Like I was always depressed. I was always feeling sluggish. And having this conversation is just making me think, wow, like I didn't put two and two together there. Like I was eating the same kind of food, but I was like not thriving in that environment. When you do the testing, are you analyzing the external factors as well? Are there inputs for lifestyle? that also feed into what the recommendations are?
0: Well, first of all, just to speak to this issue of, you know, the way you're reacting to San Francisco, that's that's fascinating. And I think it's really good for you to be telling your audience this so that they can start paying attention. We don't want to be, you know, encouraging people to be packing up moving vans and, <laughs> you know, dra- driving around sort of ad nauseum to different locations. But, but over a period of months, it's I think it's a very important thing to look at. Um, your story is also corroborated by some of the best researchers that are out there. Just so people understand that there is a basis in science for this. Walter Longo, who's the head of longevity at USC, he's become very famous for having invented the fasting mimicking diet. And, um, he studied essentially the inflammatory reaction that people have to different amino acids from yeast all the way to humans. Um, in terms of looking at optimal diets, But he's very big on epigenetic eating. And he's said straight up that, look, you know, in some people, you could be eating quinoa and, you know, that's a, that's a, from a South American tradition, you know, people that were eating quinoa for generations might have a better reaction to eating quinoa now in the modern day mm-hmm. than somebody who, you know, is from an Irish background, like, you know, like myself. And, and so epigenetic eating is something that's emerging as, as a definite thing as it were. Um, but the gene food tests are not going to give you so much of that environmental input because what we have to do is we have to go with our algorithm with the best science and the most science that that we have for nutrigenomics sits at the meta at the at, at these two guideposts of metabolic health which is essentially your insulin sensitivity and cardiovascular risk which is a assen- which is essentially your lipid response to different uh levels and types of fat and so we're we're, we're trying to sit very much in the meat of the research when it comes to cardiovascular risk and when okay. it comes to metabolic risk and so that that sets you up foundationally. you can say okay look i'm somebody who i carry a copy you know I, I don't but i'm saying hypothetically somebody carries a copy of apoe4 you might be somebody who has a very 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 inflammatory reaction to eating saturated fat in other words you could see your ldl particle count go through the roof mm-hmm. by eating a diet that's saturated in fat which puts your probability of developing heart disease at a, at, at a higher rate, right? And so if you manage those types of things, you're managing inflammation at the meat of the curve. These, these sensitivity issues are much more obscure and we don't have the research on them, so we're, we really are left with some genetic markers, for example, histamine. We can score people for histamine and see, okay, hey, you might be at a diminished ability to clear histamine both in your gut as well as in your brain. Um, and if you can't clear histamine properly, you actually have the same inflammatory reaction oftentimes that somebody eating wheat does because uncleared histamine in the gut will upregulate the production of a protein called zonulin, which is responsible for leaky gut, breaking apart what are called the intracellular tight junctions of the gut wall. So, um, so we can see some of that, but it's still emerging. And I think there needs to be more research to give us conclusive scientific, uh, basis for these uh, sensitivities.
1: So when you, so if I go through the gene food testing, what do I get? What is the output that I get to then action on?
0: So, um, the first thing that you're going to get is you're going to get uh, five food rules that you can follow that are meant to be just dead simple. You know, somebody hearing me talk about this, thinks God, this guy is a crazy, crazy in the weeds nerd on this stuff. Like what is No, he-
1: I geek more? out on this stuff. Okay. So I'm like, give me more.
0: <laughs> so, so fair enough. So so we're, we're trying to give people five basic food rules that they can follow, um, and we're trying to give people in a, a clue into what their, what their fat metabolism and carbohydrate and sugar metabolism phenotype is going to be. Okay. So we'll say to somebody like, if you, you come back, uh, let's say California Coastal is kind of a low-carb diet, we would say California Coastal is a diet type that you might see somebody that has really triglyceride-rich LDL particle. Meaning you're not that insulin sensitive, the carb fuel that you eat, you're not, you're, you might be predisposed to not doing as good of a job with. And so therefore your body is going to be able to convert some of that to glycogen, store some of it for a stressful time or when you exercise, but you might start converting a bunch of that into triglycerides. And so triglycerides elevated can be just as dangerous as, you know, LDL, you know, LDL cholesterol elevated. And so we'd say, look, you may want to keep an eye on this. Um, Tim Rossert from Meet the Press famously and, and tragically passed away. I think he'd been statinized, but he had a very low level of LDL cholesterol. But he had a very high level of LDL particle because he had so much triglyceride in those LDL particles that he was ro- walking around with that phenotype of high, small, dense LDL. You know, high vldl, these 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 lipid markers that look really bad when you eat too much sugar and too much carbohydrate when your body is not suited to them.
1: Have you ever wondered, is rinsing my produce with the water that comes out of the sink that I don't even drink enough to really clean it? well then, you're one of the smartest people I know. Because you're absolutely right, it's not enough. That's why we created the only all natural and patented line of food wash and wipes. And it's called Eat Cleaner. It's tasteless, odorless, and lab tested. And it removes up to 99.9% of the residue that water can't, including pesticides, wax, soil, and junk that can carry bacteria that can really make you sick. Plus, we formulated it to help extend the shelf life of your fresh produce too, and that'll save you money. When your berries are lasting up to 10, 12 days, you know that's a good thing. It helps your produce last up to five times longer using a natural blend of fruit acids and antioxidants. So there's no chemicals, it's just clean eating fun. And this can help save your family an average of over $500 per year. Make it easy on yourself, reduce waste, and get that fruit and veggies into your body where it's gonna do you a lot of good and not in the trash. Check us out, eatcleaner.com, or head to our Amazon store at amazon.com forward slash eatcleaner. So can, uh, can, you, can you stop right there for a second? Because I think this is a really important point to kind of underscore for people. When we talk about cholesterol, it's very important to understand that for some people, this isn't, I think we've been like ingrained in us, like eating eggs means then you're, you're spiking your cholesterol. No, that's not necessarily the case. It's different in everybody. It could be something that, in you in particular, it could be coming from eating too much bacon, for example, or in some people, likely it's more eating the refined sugar and um, and things and processed foods that are then spiking that cholesterol. Am I right?
0: Absolutely, yeah, that's spot on. And um, and the only way to know, honestly, I mean, you know, the the, the danger is we're all going to have to go back out there into the wilderness of nutrition co- commentary. And we're going to get we're going to get a you know a very well meaning and frankly very smart and very well educated paleo comment commentator who's going to tell us that we're fools if we eat egg if we take the egg yolks out of our omelet and then we're going to get a plant based advocate who's going to tell us just the opposite and people don't know what to do and we actually do have the blood test that can tell you where you sit hmm. you can look you can look at your genetics there's genes called the ATP binding cassette genes ABCG8 ABCG5 and if you see that you have different mutations in these genes, it means that you likely are absorbing a lot of the fats in plants, plant fats called sterols and advanced labs will measure for those sterols because they don't exist in the human body. So if they get in your blood, you know, they came from food and you know, you're, you're absorbing them. And so if you have elevated markers of f- plant fats, like cytosterol, camposterol, colestanol, these different plant sterols in your blood, it means you're hyperabsorbing cholesterol. Hmm. you go and you So like th-
1: from coconut for example, coconut fat uh, or
0: the big ones would be like for for some people believe it or not and you know and Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn who's a famous cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic who, who who created some of these plant-based heart-saving diets. People talk a lot about how he cut out meat and he should have because his patients were having this hypersynthetic response to eating saturated fat. He also cut out avocado and nuts and seeds. Why did he do that? He did that because the people that are these really sick heart patients have been hyper-absorbing these plant sterols their entire life, not knowing about it.
1: Mm.
0: The LDL cholesterol doesn't just measure the level of cholesterol inside of an LDL particle, the weight of that cholesterol. It also measures the weight of all the sterols. Mm. And so you could have an LDL cholesterol that was elevated because of both cholesterol and because of these plant sterols.
1: If so I fi- can- I'm just saying, John, if I yeah. find out, that I can't eat avocado, life is not worth living anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So just like, what? I don't want
1: to take your test now. I was going to say, sign me up. I want to know, but man. Um, So this is fascinating. I mean, if you think about it, like the whole idea of just waking up and deciding one day that you're going to jump on board a bandwagon. I'm going to be keto today, or I'm going to be paleo today, or I'm going to whatever you decide on a whim is is kind of bunk because there's really much more of a scientific foundation Um, and you're saying 20 different potential diets or 20 I don't like to use the word diet but 20 different paths to eating to thrive and you really don't know until you examine you individually
0: yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of truth to that. When we when we say there's these twenty diets, we do we do so with a tremendous amount of humility. I mean, I, I think that our that our al- algorithm is very good, and I think it's an excellent foundational tool. But we do so with humility because you know, Carl Jung said famously said, in terms of using statistical averages to 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 be prescriptive for people about anything. He said, look, you could have a field of stones you know, thousands of stones and you could have the average weight of those stones after you measured to be 44 pounds. But You could literally go through that entire field of stones and look and, and not find a single stone that weighed 44 pounds. And I think that's important for people to realize when they're looking at these tools is that you know, science is empowering. It gives, it, it puts, it shines light on important things. It advances us. It extends life. It's, it's, it's going to help us through this pandemic. It is it is essential. But as you're digesting scientific information and applying it to yourself, whether it's our, our algorithm or, or a study that you've, that you've stumbled upon, you have to realize that, you know, you are a unique individual and we hope that gene food can be a starting point, not the end point, but a starting point for, for people to find out and really dial in and understand that they are metabolically unique, and that's kind of the whole point of what we're doing.
1: Do you think that people have it within them? Say they're using gene food as a tool, um, but they're also using their intuition, and they're really feeling, um, they're, they're getting in touch with how they feel after they eat certain foods. Um, do you think that is just as good as going and having an allergy test and finding out actually what you're allergic to?
0: Potentially. Yeah. I mean, if I I think that, I think that, um, the things I would say is one people, I think sometimes, and I I would struggle with this food allergy and food allergy and sensitivity can definitely be delayed. So it does. You might not have that immediate 24 hour reaction of something that you're eating. Um, next I think that the combination of that intuitive eating and then working with a really excellent physician that is really on top of, of what these biomarkers mean and going with the grain of the biomarkers instead of attacking the biomarkers I think is also a a good way to go. So what I'm getting at is just practically speaking, you could feel amazing on keto, okay? You could, people do, they report euphoria, mental clarity that's incredible. But the problem is in some of those people, they're sitting on a uh, lipid panel that the probability, it's not a proof, there's no proving any of this, because this is is not a mathematical equation, but it's the body of evidence points towards increased risk. And they might be sitting on a a, a probable a probably increased risk over a period of time, and so there's a there's a discordance between how they feel on keto, amazing short term, but long term they could be at an increased risk. And what I, I, hate I yeah. is, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. No,
1: no, I no, keep going. I I was I was like yes, 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 because I've had friends that have done keto and ended up in the hospital because yeah. it's just not sustainable over the long term. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
0: Yeah, for a lot of people it's not, I mean, but the, the, the way to know, I mean, there are people with, you know, variants in, in, some, in some genes and, and, and we see them come through our algorithm and, um, and they, they probably could do just fine on keto because, because they, they have really robust clearance of LDL particle, right? So there's people that have these variants in this gene called PCSK9 and PCSK9 is basically like a Pac-Man that eats your liver's ability to take these, these LDL particles out of circulation. And so you actually want lower levels of PCSK9 because it degrades your body's ability to reduce these LDL particles, which are bad for your heart when they get in too high of a number. And so you do see people that come through, it's like 10, 15% of people, they have crazy low levels of PCSK9 and those people could eat, you know, a lot of those people could eat a diet that's super high in saturated fat and they might have an LDL particle kind of like six, seven hundred you know and they're just genetically doing a phenomenal job hmm. but there's a lot of other people who are going to go on that diet they're going to feel great they're going to have a, they're going to lose weight they're damaging their cardiovascular system literally on a daily basis and the problem i have with the nutrition debates that are going on right now is we now are not only attacking these sort of like epidemiological basis for saying well maybe saturated fat is not as bad for us as we thought we're also attacking the biomarkers so it's like somebody goes and they have ketogenic diet they have these crazy high levels of, of lipid markers. And then there's a lot of people out there like, oh, well, there's no proof that, you know, having a, having a, you know, a LDL cholesterol of 200 is going to cause you any issues. And it's like, well, ugh, yeah, I mean, that's actually not true. So, mm. so it becomes a difficult dance for people to maneuver because there, there's really nowhere to go to get objective information.
1: So <laughs> let me ask you. I think, you know, for people, and I, I want to clear the air a little bit because this is very technical. For everybody listening, um, th- this is a scientific approach to understanding kind of what camp you should probably orient yourself in terms of how your, your um, daily meals are assembled or, or what the core is. But at the end of the day, there are some facts. And this is what I talk about in my book and what I extol to our followers is there are common denominators of food groups that we should all be eating. We should all be eating a lot of non-starchy produce. That should be half of what we eat, whether you're an omnivore or on a restrictive diet. We should all be getting omega-3s in some good form that is sustainable for us. We should all be getting our essential amino acids. That's why they call them essential. And you need to get them every day. I mean, would you agree? At the end of the day, if you took away like all of the the testing and kind of getting really granular into the science, there are just some common denominators that are common sense that we should all live by.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think there's definitely overarching principles of, of um, you know, of healthy new, nutrition. No doubt about it. And all those are a are nice you know, nice guideposts for people to, to, to consider in their, you know, in their, in their everyday life for sure. I definitely, I think there's definitely foods that you can say are healthy. The thing is, is once you get on the margins, we started the conversation talking about, about food sensitivity. The thing is, once you get on the margins, um, people do even struggle with that because sometimes mm-hmm. people will be reactive to a food like oatmeal or whatever. So it can be tough. There's, there's just a small camp of people that are out there that are having a really tough time figuring out what to eat, I think is the bottom line. And, and yeah. for those, uh, a certain degree of agnosticism as to all rules, I think, is important until you actually see some hard biomarkers, some genetic information, and you can say, "Okay, hmm, interesting."
1: How can people try out Gene Food? I, I really do want to try it. I want to see and what here. you find on me if my uh, if my idea about my epigenetics is true, <laughs> and you can validate it. How do people get to try it?
0: Yeah, you can go to mygenefood.com, and um, we're going to have a, a a uh, coupon code for the eat cleaner listeners and um you, you know if you have your 23andme raw data you're sitting at home you're you know you're in quarantine and you're bored and you're looking to see you know this heard this crazy guy on this podcast and you're like, <laughs> maybe we'll give that a shot uh you can go and upload that right away that'll process it just like that and then if you if you don't have your 23andme data and you want a little greater coverage on some of the genes that we look at as well um then you can order a test kit uh, on our site just at the DNA Diet Testing section of our site.
1: Okay, we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes. What did you find out about yourself, maybe, that you were surprised about when you tested yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the big ones that I've kind of rat- rambled on about quite a bit on our podcast is, um, you know, I found out that I was a hyperabsorber of uh, sterol. You know, mm. so, I, so like avocado, like I, a lot of the avocado and, and, you know, almond butter, those fats that you eat. They, they, you don't absorb them. They kind of get kicked back out of the gut. But some people um, absorb them in greater quantities. So I saw that I, I was, I tend to hyper absorb uh, plant fats and also cholesterol, which is pretty interesting. And that kind of bears out in my blood work when I when I track that. Um,
1: so how has that changed your diet?
0: Well, I'm a little more, you know, I'm a little more strategic in terms of how I how I eat uh, foods like avocado. I mean, I still eat avocado. I'm not going to stop eating guacamole. I don't eat it quite as much as I used to. Um, and the same is true of nut butter. You know, if I have a little bit of nut butter on my, you know, morning oat, five oatmeal for breakfast, say I will, I'll I'm very circumspect with, with how I, uh, how I consume those foods. And, um, you know, now in a pandemic with the stress levels, I kind of practice intuitive eating, but I, I, I do find also that a diet that's a little more low, lower glycemic, um, for me is, is, is healthier. I fall on a diet in our, one of our lower carb, uh, Diet types, so I tend to tend to go in that direction. Do you um, eat meat? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do. Um, cyclically, you know, yeah. I, I do. I, I try to. I don't eat uh, gratuitous amounts of meat, but I do. I do still eat eat meat. Um, and uh, I'm somebody who is a thin person to begin with, so for me to go strict vegan, or um, I tend to really sacrifice muscle mass as a result of that, and so I find that I do need to get. Um, some meat in my diet to, to be at my healthiest. So I, but I, I, I try to, as you say, you a plant forward diet, you know, um, most of my meals are, uh, very plant centric, but I do incorporate meat.
1: Yeah. I found, um, in, uh, my upbringing, we, fast a lot. I was raised Coptic Orthodox and we there are about 300 days out of the year where there is some kind of fasting, modified eating. And for Easter, for 55 days, we eat strict vegan and I struggle with those 55 days so much. I, I just, I have no energy. Um, I find that I eat way too many carbs, you know, or I'm eating too much processed soy, which I don't love you know, because I'm just looking for that way to supplement um, the protein or else I'm eating just straight protein powder because I need it. Um, So it's interesting. I think even just kind of trying it out for yourself and seeing how your body feels when you do modified approaches to eating and cutting out different food groups, how do you feel? And write that down. I think that's really important just for self-knowledge.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I I think experimenting is the key, and understanding that what your body needs now in terms of an eating regimen may be slightly different than what your body needs six months from now.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's um, as we record this, it's National Women's Health Week, and we're talking a lot about the evolving state of hormones for women and how that impacts so many things. And even that, in and of itself, can affect how you eat. A good friend of mine um, went through early menopause, and she developed a gluten intolerance during the same time. So it's interesting how your hormones will also, you know, play a big factor in your life stage. So as we approach the end of our time together, I have a couple of questions for you um, that I ask all of my guests. Um, Number one, if you had one last meal, I'm not saying anything like prophetic, but if you Mm -hmm. had one last meal, what would it be? because it's your favorite meal, and who would prepare it for you?
0: Oh, wow. Jeez. If I had one last meal, what would it be? God, who would prepare it for me? That's a difficult question. That's a very, very, very difficult question.
1: Very hey, It's difficult. a question nobody else has ever asked you before.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking my last meal. Oh, jeez. I mean, is this... I would...
1: This is you. This can be your indulgent meal. It doesn't have to be the healthiest thing, or it can yeah, be.
0: I would probably, for my last meal, I would probably have. Uh, one of the things I would have is I would have a, a John's Pizza, Bleecker Street. I would have a, a full pie from John's Pizza on Bleecker <laughs> Street in the village, and then mm-hmm. I would have a cup. I would have next to that like at least a slice from Bleecker Street Pizza, Pizza, which is like Kitty Corner. I would have some <laughs> local beef here in Jackson Hole, um, that is just absolutely phenomenal. I would have, I would have a nice piece of beef. I would have a, a lot of, uh, French fried potatoes.
1: I'm hearing a lot of carbs in this last Un-talked
0: meal. Ice cream. <laughs> um, and I'd probably wash that down with like a bottle of nice wine. Who would I want to prepare it? I mean, geez, I would, hopefully I'd have it with all my loved ones, you know, because I'd have you know my mother there. I'd have you know, my girlfriend there. My dog would be there, you know, all you know, so hopefully I'd have like a communal just, absolute gorgeous the dog
1: in the kitchen everybody's yeah. got a hand in it I like it I like it yeah. um, and then if if there's one piece of advice that you could tell people just boiling down our whole conversation one piece of advice that they could action today to make an impact a great impact on their health what would it be
0: Yeah, I would say, um, you know, be a little easier on yourself when it comes to some of these, some, some of these issues and be, be very, be very careful to, to be careful about what messaging you let in your brain when it comes to food and nutrition, you know, because I, the way I see the landscape is that there's a lot of people out there who have found protocols that work really well for them and they become very adamant. And it's just like we talked about this. It's like our political climate. You know, you have, we're we're very polarized right now. There's not a lot of crosstalk between the groups and there's not a terrible amount of empathy between the groups. There's people out there that make on all sides of these conversations, very, very, very blanket statements. And I think that it's really important to recognize that the adamant messaging you may be hearing from a nutrition influencer, um, a, you don't have to live up to that. You don't have to do the workout that your favorite influencer does. You don't have to eat the exact same way that, you're, that your influencer does. If you have a, a, a scoop of ice cream, it's not going to increase your risk of dying for coronavirus, okay? So it's like don't put so much pressure on yourself all the time and just feeling like you have to be perfect. Um, and and really do the work to understand what works for you and then stick to that. And per, be, per, be protective of that. Protect that for your, for yourself. Mm. That would be
1: I love it. Yeah. That's living the ninety ten rule. John, thank you so much for your time. This has been really, really insightful.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
1: Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I know you have a lot of choices out there of what to listen to, what to watch. So it means a lot to me that you're here with me. And hey, if you love this content, would you hit the subscribe button? I want you around. I don't want you to just show up for one episode and leave. I want you here, part of the conversation, a seat at this table. And while you're at it, would you share this with your friends and family? And if you take a screenshot and share it on your social media with a hashtag R-F-Y-B-L for recipes for your best life, I'll make sure to personally give you a shout out and you may just be featured right here on the show. So until next time, here's to living deliciously and being the chef of your best life.